I'm Katherine Gallagher. I'm Jan Pesson. And this is Bitchin' About Food. Are you ready over there, Jan? I am. Did we start? Yes, we're starting. Oh, okay. This is it. Oh, okay. Okay, so move all the equipment around. Make I'm all done. this noise. I'm done. Okay. God. We have some housekeeping to do. Yeah. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, they reopened one of our favorite restaurants in Redondo Beach for dinner. Good stuff. It's not much. It's not much of a restaurant, but there's two things there that Dean and I love. And they closed for dinner during the pandemic and they reopened it. And we were so excited. We drove down there as soon as we got the email that they're open for dinner again. Fried chicken wrap mm. and Olay chicken Caesar salad. It, it, they don't sound like much, but they're both really delicious. Mm. The other thing that happened is I made cinnamon rolls from scratch for the Deanster with this big, long, involved recipe. And he ate one and he goes, I don't think I like them. They're kind of dense. You know what I really like are those ones in the tube. Oh. The same thing happened at Thanksgiving where I make those Parker House rolls from scratch and he goes, I like the ones in the tube. Well, the you ones in the tube are laced with crack and that's why they taste better. <laughs> if you start lacing yours with crack, we'll like those better too. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, I want to complain about cooking. Sh I want to bitch about cooking shows. I was watching Joanna Gaines's cooking show. Why? I don't know. And, you know, I'm looking at this kitchen and I'm like, you know what? Nobody has this kitchen. Ina, Martha, Joanna, all these women, their kitchens are unbelievable. Why aren't there cooking shows that speak to a real person cooking every night in a small kitchen? Like Julia Child's kitchens, if you look at those old shows, yeah. her kitchen wasn't that great. That's realistic. It was a realistic kitchen. Yeah. 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 I'm now with it's you all on like that. this giant, she has the stove that's like, you know, 10 gazillion. I'm like, oh, kiss my ass, Joanna Gaines. Yeah. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about is um, we had an interesting exchange, you and I, because you said something, you asked me, um, what was the measuring cup thing you wanted to know what two-thirds of a cup oh, was oh yeah yeah and i didn't realize that you didn't know this but there's dry measuring and wet measuring i didn't yeah there's like the scoops that are for dry and the wet the like liquid comes in a glass cup and i couldn't i, I still can't really grasp what the difference is because you still have a cup and you still have a half cup and by the way after that conversation yeah. i i'm took out my dry ingredient measurer and measured out a dry ingredient cup with the scoop. And then I got the the liquid thing, which I since ordered from Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I put the dry stuff that was a cup in the, the scoop thing in the thing. And it measures out exactly the same. Okay. So w w what? Explain. I don't know. Yeah. I, okay. I so, didn't invent measuring cups. Yeah. Fine. I just know that you have to, and actually, you shouldn't even be using measuring cups. You'd be using a scale for dry ingredients, a little kitchen scale. Okay. So here's what's really. I just sad. want to say this once, and then I'm not going to go say it again no. because it's not nice. Here's what you go fuck yourself. <laughs> okay. Just here's once. What's, no. Here's what's really sad. You're like half-ass measuring everything, and your cakes are phenomenal. And I'm like infinitesimally putting things on my scale, getting it out to the thing, right. and half the time my cake is dreck. That's right. So I you think know why? Because your secret ingredient in baking is love. Mm, I don't think that's it. I do. No. I think it's my love of eating them. Because <laughs> I right. love to eat cake. Listen, enough of this crap. Yeah. We have a very special guest today. We do. Very special. Yes. Special in all the good ways. Yep. Now, Jan, do you remember when we were young? No. I mean, really young. Not really. I mean, young, like before the internet, young. Yeah. When I first met you, Yes. In 1830, mm. we were in college, uh -huh. and we had a teacher, a professor, named Eugene Ferraro, and that's our guest today. Welcome, Eugene. Thank Yay. you. 
Thanks. Okay, so Gene is our friend and our mentor, and he was like the first grown-up person who really believed in us, who wasn't related to us. Like, he supported our artistic endeavors yeah. from day one. Yeah. He wasn't related. Nope. He wasn't your mom, your dad, my mom, my dad. He nope. was a grown-up person in college who said, hey, I see something in both of you. And he was an artist. You are an artist. He is an artist. Welcome, Gene. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. He's a filmmaker, mm -hmm. a wonderful music. He's got great taste in music, film, uh, television, just a taste maker extraordinaire, but a world traveler. And we're not here to talk about film yet. We'll do that at the end. I want to talk about food. I want to bitch about food. So, Gene, you live in Boston. I live at about 20 miles north of Boston in Andover. Okay. And you've been with Joanne for 55 years, you said. You're 55 years, yes. Your wife. And you have two kids and a bunch of grandchildren. And you are... Two, right. Yeah, two kids and a bunch of grandchildren. But the food. Let's talk about the food. I want to share with you a story that I've never told you or anybody, even though I've known you for 150 years. When I used to live in Boston as a young, young person, I was eight or nine years old. This is my one of my food traumas. My mother took me to a store in downtown Boston, and I don't know what it was. It was an Italian, I know now it was an Italian grocery store, which I, they probably still have Italian grocery stores yeah. in Boston. We walked in, and I remember being hit with this odor, and I now know it was Pecorino Romano cheese. It smelled really good to me. I mean, I was like, what is this smell? It smells so good. And I look in this case, and there's all these olives and cheeses and like it looked like salami and i'm just a little kid and i don't really know mom's over there talking to the guy about something and then i see this tray of what looks like white sponges and i'm like i'm looking at this tray and it says there's a little sign and i can read it and it says tripe and i'm like tripe i go mom i go mom what's i go mom what's tripe and she goes oh that's cow's lungs and i'm like cow's lungs and i'm telling you the image of those sponges seared into my brain to this day i won't even look at any sort it's of it's like tongue for me organ meat it's like tongue because a like, tongue looks like a tongue and yeah. it's awful and these sponges were like and i just wanted to get out of the store i wanted to run away run home i was horrified it, and and mom she goes she goes oh it's just tripe you know mom she <laughs> but that's my boston italian food trauma story which i've never told anybody i'm telling you now well there was a place uh near where my dad worked and this is we're going back to the 50s okay early 50s i was just a little kid and we'd all and it was interesting every friday it, it was one of those places where there was like a triple decker house and then on the ground floor it was like a grocery store a restaurant sort of and then they would have every friday tripe was the special oh god so i oh. you know didn't know what it was. I mean, for all I knew, it was chicken. Ooh. But anyway, I've never really had it, but I know people that have tried it and the people that like it really like it. And a lot of times it would be served with a very light kind of tomato sauce. Well, I mean, I think organ meat is like a thing. I mean, people go ape shit for organ meat. Also, brain, you know, then mom said, oh, they have brains and lungs and tongue and this and that. And I'm like, what? Ugh. No, no, no. Not my, not not my, my thing. No. no. Nope. Mm-mm. So growing up, did you you grew up in Boston, right? I grew up in a town called Framingham, and uh, oh my God, that's which so is about twenty miles west of Boston. 
And you and your brother grew up together yeah, in we your were, house. I and... actually, it's funny because my first house was a multifamily. Well, there was a, my dad, mother, and my brother and I, we lived in the main part of the house, but there was an in-law apartment kind of on the side. And that was where my grandparents on my mother's side lived. And it was really funny when I think I was about maybe 12, 13, I can't re really remember when we moved, but uh, the land next door sold and they put in a Chinese restaurant. And I remember that the uh, that the uh, proprietor came over and asked if we would cut the hedge because he wanted them to be able to see the sign. So we put up. So we said sure. So we there was a big sign that said the pagoda. And uh, anyway, so we grew up next to each other. It's the first time I ever had Chinese food, and I I liked that. Well, and wait a minute. Let's go back to the whole apartment situation. You grew up with your grandparents. My grand. I grew up in a. Uh, what three generation family home yeah I so mean, how did that work at mealtime who was in charge of cooking well my grandmother cooked you know for my grandfather some of the time and then my mother you know cooked for us and but it was two separate kitchens there was a kitchen there was a small kitchen and my my grandmother had uh and grandparents they had a like a living room area they had a bedroom and they had a small kitchen area in the bathroom so okay. they could they could cook okay uh but uh and she, it was funny because my grandmother's, well, my grandmother's, grand, my grandparents were Northern Italian. My father was Southern Italian. <laughs> so it was a very, very different, you know, class of cultures uh, in a sense, but the, the food was somewhat different. I mean, you know, you'd be, if you wanted to have a bolognese, let's say, which my grandmother was really great at, you know, I mean, I don't remember her doing a lot of cooking, but she did do some very interesting things and she could make a great bolognese and one of the really interesting things now is that my daughter who's a, very much an experimental cook she is she, yeah she well in the sense that she'll try anything she will try anything and oddly enough if she does i i have to check if she really followed one of the grand my grandmother's recipes but it reminds me of my grandmother's and this is when you make a kind of it's kind of a light-based sauce with pork a little bit of chicken carrots celery yeah, yeah it's a yeah whole and it's shtick. really good it and takes it's forever. really funny uh yeah uh, but it's uh really good now if you go to most restaurants you're going to get a bolognese with a kind of a more uh a meatier sauce you know they they will grind up uh pork chicken but it's going to be more almost reddish i guess the color is the biggest thing i've never heard of chicken and bolognese maybe i, may, I could be wrong you know i'm not exactly and, i think it's pork yeah. and beef isn't it don't no the pork and pork and i'm not Catherine. critiquing i'm just saying i've never heard of chicken in a bolognese sauce i think i forgot to set my timer again that's okay but um, uh what's interesting though is that you there was a couple of things and and my grandmother had a a, a brother who was a you know high executive bethlehem steel and he also was a football player went to lehigh and i remember one time on a sunday he had a craving for what they called tortillas okay and <laughs> and it probably was something in dialect you know but anyway he calls up long distance over the phone and my grandmother dictates the recipe to him this is to her brother and what it was is it's, it's about a, a a piece of pasta that's the size of your hand that you fill with squash, that's oh. kind of a squash filling, and then you serve it with, a, again, a, a light tomato sauce. And that was one of the vivid memories that I have. The other thing that she would make, and my mother learned how to make, is you know you would call them a tortellini. That's the, what everybody would call it today. 
the kind of slang dialect was tootlings when I was a kid. So what you do is you take, uh, you know, uh, I, I believe it's pork and chicken, and you make little tortellini with it. And then they also would make ravioli with spinach and a little beef. Oh, that you know, and good. then that you'd serve that with a tomato sauce. You could go the tortellini. You'd probably serve. You could serve it any number of ways. But did they get along, your grandmother and your mother? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and when it was time for your mom to cook for you and your brother and your dad, was she the chief cook and bottle washer? Most of the time, yeah. And then we we would, you know, my father, you know, we would have dinner every night. This is the biggest thing that I've noticed, one of the biggest cultural shifts that I've seen in my lifetime is the fact that the family ate together at night. Yes. It wasn't like four separate meals where everybody's all over the place and different times and all yeah, that. Yeah, no. It was and then family on, dinner. Right. And then on Sundays, we'd have Sunday dinner, like around maybe three, three o'clock in the afternoon. And how was that different? It's just that we didn't eat at night. You know, we would eat, you know, you'd have breakfast in the morning, then you'd have a Sunday dinner probably in the afternoon. But it was more involved, right? More, in, more elaborate? A more... little bit more. Yes, it would certainly be more elaborate. And then if I went to my uncle's family in Worcester, my two, two of my uncles, my father was one of uh, nine, Oh my just, God, Jesus! Yeah, yeah. and really? they on the on the base in a triple decker. We had one uncle living in one on the top, another uncle living in the middle, and they had a joint. They they ran a restaurant call a bar and restaurant called Ferraro's on the ground floor. Oh my God, that's great! I wish I'd had the sign. You know, at one point I I don't remember anybody ever offering a way of keeping the sign, <laughs> but uh, my. One of my aunts was Italian, the other was Irish. Of course, the guys were both Italian. And um, and they, you know, served liquor. And then, you know, I mean, they had a bar and then they served some Italian food, you know. And oh, my God. That so, sounds so good. But on a Sunday there, if you went there on a Sunday afternoon, there'd be all kinds of relatives, cousins, and everything else. And there would be a big, long table. And... If you watch the Stanley Tucci show in some of the cases, you would see the same thing. Mm -hmm. There'd be bowls of stuff all over the place. You don't eat butter on the bread. And it would be a big raucous thing, you know. Yeah. And then sometimes, it was really funny, on uh, weekends, some of them would show up at the house. They didn't, no invitation, you just came. <laughs> and then there'd be a big round table. And recently you know i found some pictures where all of there were my kids you know i mean my my brother and uh uncles some of the kids and everything around that big round table so communal you, you were going to have at least you'd be exposed to communal meals and regular meals and then you would do a little something on a sunday so these are like huge food memories because yeah. it's like family right. community improvisation not too formal, but very um, food centric, and fo it, was, it was all food centric and focused yeah, on yeah. the family. And which... I would I would say more comfort. You know, it, 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 you can't really call it comfort food in the sense, but that's what it was. I mean, at least in that culture. So, did your mom invite you into her kitchen as a child? Oh, we, you know, we were in and out all the time. I mean, she'd be cooking. I mean, no, but I mean, like. Did she say to you to cook? Yeah, I mean, oh, not really. I mean, I I didn't have any interest, in, but my brother did to some degree, as, especially as he got older. Uh, he was he he was more of a, I would he he cooked and nice. He was pretty good at it. So he didn't you, cook a lot, but he did. But so you didn't really you didn't really help your mom cooking so much as a child. Not that I recall. Okay, no, but no. somehow when you got married, 
did you, you were the cook at the beginning of the marriage, right? Well, Joanne, you know, we, <laughs> the beginning of the marriage, we lived in one room. Uh, our whole place was slightly bigger than the space we're in. And we didn't have a stove. <laughs> what? We, were, we lived in a ground level apartment, which means we could walk, we could look out the window. This is in New York City because we got married in uh, September of 68. And then we went right, we went to New York and we, you know, we had this ground level apartment on West 104th. And so you could watch the people walking by, you know, and we had it, it was partitioned off. There was an area big enough for a, a bed and a dresser. That was it. There was a very tiny bathroom with a shower, and then there was a kitchen, but there was no stove. What? No stove. Well, what did you use for cooking? Well, I mean, not stove. I'm sorry, not a stove. There was no oven. I, it, it was just there was like a like hot, a hot plate. Yeah, yeah, like a hot plate. So you know, it was kind of starting from scratch, and it was very interesting. You know, I mean, we lived there for two years, and oh my god. Two years without an oven? Yeah, basically, if I remember correctly. How on earth did you survive? I'm, sure, you... I'm sure my wife would correct me because I have a faulty memory. And yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I, I usually leave out some really significant detail. It would be very important to anybody else. But yeah, I mean, you know, you you just, you could make pasta. You could, uh, you could, you know, you could, uh, you know, if you had a frying pan, you could, you know, do stuff. And so, you know, it wasn't very, what's the word for it? It wasn't the most creative cuisine, cuisine, but, you know, in a sense, you start from that. And over the years, it was amazing. You know, sh she's a great cook now. I mean, it is truly amazing. And why do you think that is? Because she taught herself? Did she have a passion I think for she, it? I think she taught herself and she, you know, she looked, she was very, had a strong curiosity. And I think the food that she had grown up with in her family was not particularly yeah. great. Let's talk about that. When she was growing up, who was like the cook and like, did Joanne's mom cook? Uh, I don't think you could call what, what she did cooking really, <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I just know that she wasn't crazy about the food, but it was interesting because her aunt who played a very, very central role in raising her was the hostess of a very famous restaurant in Quincy where the last really, uh, uh, what's the word for it? the last kind of political boss mayor oh. who frequented John, John Michael Curley, I believe. And so it was called the Fox and the Hounds. And her aunt was a very stylish woman. Okay. I remember one time you saw a picture of her and you just looked and said, who is that? Well, that was her, my wife's aunt. And so, you know, you get, a, you get exposed to the cuisine. Plus Joanne had worked in restaurants. She had worked in uh, Valley Steakhouse for a long time okay. and uh, in a couple of different venues. And eventually her aunt was a hostess there. So, you know, the whole idea, you know, I mean, and some of those, you know, places like the Fox and the Hounds was a watering hole for for many of the, the Pauls in the Boston area. Something like uh, the other one was a kind of a, you know, place where, you know, it was kind of like, it was what passed for a really... Uh, good restaurant in the time. You know, yeah. you wouldn't call it that today. You'd be kind of, it'd be more along the lines of what is it, the uh, Longhorn Steakhouse or something like that. But at the time, you know, it was considered, you know, pretty good. And it was, you know, for all we knew. I mean, you know, we... Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what passes for good because what passes for good Italian food in America, as you know, because you've traveled extensively in Italy. Well, 
a little bit, not 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 as much as you might think. Well, but, I, but more yeah. than most Americans, since most Americans, it's only twenty five percent of Americans have passports. So I'm thinking right. you traveled more than most. And also, you have a history. I mean, I'm not saying you're old, Gene, but <laughs> you're a little older. Yeah, little older. A little older. older. A little older. Than older. Than us. Sure. And, and so, I mean, comparatively speaking, food then and food now. Oh, I was going to compare Italy to America, but let's do the then and now. The then and now. The food now is, uh, you know, there are some things, there are some things that people make that stand the test of time, you know, and if you have like them, what? it's, well, like some of the things I was describing before, like the the tortellini that got made in the home mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, the, the ravioli got made in the home, which even though I'm not a particular favor of that, you know, the spinach kind that they did, you can just tell because you see it, you know, imitated or you see it recreated in restaurants all over the place. Mm -hmm. And the tortillas, once in a while, you'll see it when they have the bigger ravioli that have the uh, the uh, squash. squash, right, the squash in it. But the food now is so much better. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you went out to a, an Italian restaurant anywhere from the 50s, I'd say through the uh, 80s, you know, you were going to get pretty much the yeah. same kind of thing. Red sauce. I will say though, that there's one place in New York City and it's on 110th and I believe on the corner of 110th and Amsterdam. And we used to go there when we were living there. And uh, it's funny, one of my cousins on my mother's side, he lives and he goes there still. His wife's Jewish. Uh, you, you met them one What's time. What's it called? V&T's. Mm. And that is probably one of the best places to get what you would consider is the Italian food of that whole era. It hasn't changed. It's wonderful, you know, and I, I, it's really funny because every time I see him, he says, you know, we still go, I still go almost like once a week sometimes. I love that. I love yeah. that a restaurant that's been around for that long serving yeah. the same type of food is still there serving the same type of same food. Same type of and food. And it's still good. And it's yeah. it, it's I mean, still good. That's the key right there, Jan. I'm exactly. trying to think. I yeah. think it's probably been 25, 30 years since I went, but that was almost 50 years, that was almost 20 years later than I did go and it was still good. We're totally going there the next time we go to New York. After we go to Russ and Daughters, we're going to- And Peter Luger's. And Peter Luger's Steakhouse. Yeah, Russ and Daughters. Now it's funny because Luger's got hammered by a, a review in the New Yorker recently about oh. why it is sort of, but you know, I mean, this is another thing. You really can't tell anything from a review. No. no. I don't think so. No, because out here, the, all the restaurants we go to, the reviews are glowing, and then we come away and they're dreck. And by yeah. the same token, you can walk into some place that didn't get a good review, and you think, "Gee, this is great." Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so let's talk about Italy. Okay. Why on earth is the food so much better? Why is my girlfriend, who is lactose intolerant severely, goes over to Italy? has mozzarella cheese, gelato, you name it, and she's a-okay, fine, no problem at all. What is with the over-processed horrificness of American, Italian cheese, food, whatever? Probably, the thing is, you know, anybody that's interested in Italian food, I suggest they watch the Stanley Tucci show. The yeah, one that good. was it, it was really good because, you know, he gets into things like freshness, you know, the fact that the food's so, such an integral part of the culture that, it's, I think another thing is the fact that it's different all over the place. In other words, if you eat in one section, it's not going to be the same as if you eat certainly north and south, but it's much more sophisticated than that. Yeah, I think there's a, a, a push for homogenization of cuisine in America. Like, you know, the meatballs in one restaurant 
are probably going to be fairly similar to the meatballs in a restaurant all the way other on the other side of the country. You know, nobody's thinking, oh, let's make California Italian versus, uh, you know, South Carolina Italian. It's just Italian. Whereas in Italy, right. it's much more nuanced, right? right? Like Naples cuisine is much different than than Rome or Flor Florentine or any of that right. stuff. It's right. very subtle and very different. But maybe it's also the... Again, like that pizza in New York. Remember when Kathy Moriarty opened up um, Mulberry Street Pizza? She had the water shipped in from New York because she claimed that the New York water made a difference in the dough. The, the Something about the pH in the New York water made a difference in the dough. And it, it was good. It wasn't quite as good as New York because apparently somebody else pointed out that it's also the air in New York is different. And maybe the same thing with Italy. I, I I don't know about that. I I just I don't I I don't know. <laughs> you know I, that's I your, think that's your that's your conversational comeback. I don't know. But I, <laughs> I don't know. Fuck? <laughs> but anything you know, it's really funny. Anything like that, anything like a detail like that, it's like made with one hundred percent carrot juice or something like that. It's almost like a marketing thing. You know, it's something where they're trying to sell to the person that says this little item makes it so special that it's it's worth it for you to come in here and pay whatever they want you to pay. And the thing is, that's one of the things that really gets me is this whole, it's like the food's become like a, you know, a, a, it's like a pastime almost. Forget about the fact that you need to eat whenever times a day. You know, the food's precious. People got their little cameras out. They're taking all the pictures. Oh my God, this is such a beautiful entree. I, I love it. Now I'm going to devour it, devour it. You know, I mean, that just drives me crazy, but it is, it's fun to go to different places, but everybody will say it's like the free range chicken or the, yeah. or the buffalo this, or, I yeah. mean, you know, we don't I mean, crap about that. yeah. So, I mean, but you know, I mean, well, out of all the places you've traveled to in Italy, what's your favorite food well, wise? I, I, food -wise? Uh, the best meal I ever had in, in Italy, oddly enough, it's really funny. It's the same name. There, there was a Harry's bar in Rome and I just went in there you know, I was there for three days and I went in there on a, I think it was a Saturday. It was either, no, maybe it was a, yeah, Saturday night, you know, and I, I, I'm looking at the menu and it was a tiny little place. And oddly enough, it was almost like it was in the middle of an intersection, uh, not an intersection, but there was a highway here. You know, there was another road here and then there was kind of a little area and the restaurant was in the middle. Yeah. Rome's noisy. Yes. Very noisy. And it was right near, it was right near the, uh, the aqueduct or whatever, you know, because you could see this aqueduct there. So anyway, so it said Tagliatelle con lardo. Mm, that and sounds I'm thinking, good. And I'm thinking, well, what is that? So I mean, basically it's pig fat. Exactly. Okay, so, and it was really great. Yeah. I mean, it was just delicious and... But was that the same? That's not the same Harry's bar that's in Venice, right? Well, I I don't think it's related to it at all. Okay. You know, but, but they used, you know, the Harry's bar in... You know, I've talked to people who went to Harry's Bar in Venice. They say it's great. Other people say it's, tar you know, it's just eh. So you just never know. And, and. My favorite was Naples, the Naples, pizza. Naples, you like the pizza? Oh my God, the pizza. Did you ever go to Italy? Have you ever been to Italy? I've never been. Oh my God. We are going to Italy. I know. Gene is going to take us to Italy. He just gave me the high sign, the thumbs up. Really? The three of us are going to go to Italy. I didn't see that. Well, but, he just okay. we had a secret thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's going to take yeah. us to Italy and we're going to eat. You have to go to Italy. I want to go to Italy. You have to go to Italy. It's... I may never come home if I go to Italy. <laughs> well, who's going to take care of Frima? Um, Not it. Yeah. Well, the cats. 
Yeah, the cats, the cats can take exactly. care of Oh, my God. El oh penne e molto bono. Oh That's all I know how to God. say. Let's talk about Boston. Yeah. Boston really has it going on with Italian food. There's like an Italian, like, there's a, there's a ton of Italian people out here in L.A., a ton. And the Italian food that we've had out here, you would think is, and I think, is not great. But Boston, the food, the, the Italian food, I think, is probably pretty excellent. Well, it, it's really funny. Uh, oddly enough, the one place that I haven't gone much is the North End, which is the Italian section. There are a zillion restaurants in there. They're all considered pretty good, authentic. And, you know, I, I don't know. If I were going to... I guess what's been happening in the area now is the suburbs are opening up. Yeah. And what's really interesting is now is there's some towns where you can go where there used to be nothing that you would go to other than say, you know, like a Longhorn or something like that. Olive or Garden. Texas, yeah, the Olive Garden, which my one foray into the Olive Garden was to buy a gift certificate. I've never eaten in an Olive Garden in my life. But you were going to give it to somebody? Yeah, but I mean, it was inappropriate because they, they liked it. Oh, they yeah. liked it. They liked it, it and okay. it was a way of saying thank you because yeah. I knew that they liked it. So that you would have like... a, you would not be happy if you ate in an Olive Garden. Probably, I don't know. So I mean, you, no, you would. You were buying a certificate for, for an somebody idiot. else. For no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> Some people, food isn't that. You know. No, I, I know. I, I get it. You know, I, I remember somebody in the army telling me that they only ate to live. That they had no, and it's really tr this guy had no interest in food yeah. whatsoever, other than to try to keep breathing and keep moving. Let me tell you something. When I would go visit mom in Kenosha when she was alive, we would go to Olive Garden. Frickin' packed to the gills. Well, you're in Kenosha. Yeah. I'm saying packed to the gills. Right. Packed. Full of morons. There were other... <laughs> okay, Kenosha's not full of morons. Evidently. <laughs> they're going to the friggin' oh Olive Garden. Oh, my God. But that's what I mean. We'll have Will edit this part out. No, anyway, don't edit thing... <laughs> it out. That, that is something that I, th I, I think is very american well how did italian food become so bastard like how did chef boyardi yeah bastardize italian food in america how did italian food morph from the fabulousness that is italy new york and boston into you know in the 40s and 50s chef boyardi you know when my mother and father first got married my my father was 30 years old when he married my mother and she was 33 and he had never had spaghetti and meatballs he was 30 he had never had Italian food. My grandmother wasn't that crazy about Italians. Yeah, but I... I... <laughs> she never made Italian food. Okay, but I mean, that's also to my point. You know, in America, the way ethnic food sort of came over and became commercialized here. I guess it happened with Chinese food too, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was yeah. like, chef, here's Chef Boyardee. That's what, you know, and that became something that the American housewife made, which was considered so... Open a can, put the thing in the thing. Yeah. But, you know, that was like avant-garde, I guess. I don't well, know. Well, it it, a lot of that comes out of the whole area of convenience and everything and trying to help give people, you know, a way to to feed people yeah. and popular and also popularizing it. There's nothing more you know, convenient I mean, than pasta. Just, yeah, I mean that's Pasta's the simplest quick. thing in the world. Yeah. But in, in going back to like Italy and Europe and places like that, they didn't do that. They just no, didn't the, do the that. The Italians tended to everything yeah. tended to be They labor. I mean, yeah, they you know, labor. if you really want to if you really the, the the show that I think is great. I think it's the you know, I mean, it's just amazing. Is my brilliant friend the two seasons of my brilliant friend? I've heard on that's really good. HBO. That is an. Can you get it subtitled? You should not be able subtitled. If it, it, Can you get it dubbed? Just because. No, you you gotta have the titles. All right, it's just I'll have you to have watch to. That I'm one. telling you. I mean, but really, what's really interesting if you want to see how 
the Neapolitan culture, you know, and we're talking working class Neapolitan culture. And that's, you know, where a lot of the dishes originated because they were cheap. You know, it was, it, you didn't, you weren't going to, you didn't have the opportunity to use a lot of meat and things. The people were working, they were working the factories and everything else. You had to feed the family. They had a lot of children because they were encouraged to have a lot of children. Mm -hmm. But that is an, that's an extraordinary show where the food kind of plays a role. The other thing, you know, and the other thing I think that's, uh, the other, it, with the, the, the movie that's really interesting about the food is Big Night. With that's Stanley a great movie. Tucci. Yeah, that's a good that's movie. A, that is great an extraordinary movie. way to. I just, Tony Shalhoub is so good. In that, he's so good in that movie. I just finished a show called For Love and oh, Recipes. For Love and Recipes Mysteries or something. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a mini series on uh, Acorn. Is it a mystery? Yeah. You love a mystery, don't it, you? I do. I love a mystery. Mm -hmm. It's on Acorn. But it's got uh, that actress. Oh, God. I'm so bad with the name. Doyle. Her last name is Doyle. Mm. Anyway. Oh, she's she's really good. It's really good. Anyway, it's all about food. Well, I love I love film and food. I love food and film. One of the best films I think to ever bring forth the idea of food is, um, well, two, uh, like water for chocolate, and chocolat. Those are two great movies that bring food. Yeah. Like you leave the theater and you're craving what you just saw. I'm craving everything right now. <laughs> That's all right. What's been very interesting for, for it was interesting. I, I was saying how my daughter is like a, she will, she's got a ton of cookbooks. She will try things oh, yeah. all the time. The yeah. Let's talk about the kids. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, and, and it's interesting to see if, if, if you do something five, four or five times. It's that you you can really track the the progress of, of course. the dish. You get better at it, and of I course. and I think you know I think there's some things that she does that I really like, and I can I can just see the progress, and that's been really great. What about now, Chris? What about well, your son? Chris went to work. See, Chris started in restaurants. He's done all the jobs in the restaurants except be the chef. He's a dishwasher, waiter, the whole nine yards, uh, manager, assistant manager. And then he went to work for an Italian winemaker, an importer of Italian wines. Oh, nice! This was a you know, a, you know, a, I, I'm trying to think. I can't remember. And they were they went, they had different wines, but they specialized to some degree in the Sensi wines. So it was interesting. So when he did that, all of a sudden we were trying all the stuff. We were trying the Sensi wines, and he did that for several years. Then he right now he is with. Barton and Gustier, which is the oldest French winemaker in France. Do you get free access to wine? I wouldn't say free access, but what happens is, you know, a lot of times, one of the things if you're in that business is you want to get people to try the wines. So what you do is you do tastings and things like that. That's free access. So <laughs> I would exactly say. And anyway, and then what's, what's been very interesting about that particular brand, this is a little plug for them, but it's an interesting thing. Barton and Gussier, they real the wines are pretty good, and and then the more the, the it's almost like most winemakers the wine is in tiers. The next tier, I would say, the next tier up for them is the Thomas Barton label, which you wouldn't think is a, is Italian wine, but Thomas Barton was an Irishman who went to France in the time of Jefferson. Oh my God! And so he set up a vineyard there. Okay. And Thomas Barton made the wines that Jefferson considered his favorite. 
wow. Thomas Jefferson. So we've tried a lot of the we've tried a lot of the Thomas Barton wines, but then it's interesting because in the pa in the in the in the process of we learn a little bit about Italian wines, and I don't know. Believe me, I'm just I just know enough to be really dangerous, and I don't even pretend to because I will never. If I never had the same bottle of wine twice, it wouldn't bother me a bit. <laughs> I, I'm always willing. To, it drives a lot of my family nuts, but I'll try almost anything. You know, just if I were traveling when I so when you're I, a wine whore. Yeah, I, I think you could say yeah, that. Way to keep it real, Jan. Okay. But the other thing keep is, that, like, if you go to India, I'd try the Indian wine. If, and if I went to Mexico, I would try the, it, it, and I have, I'd try the Mexican wine. When I went to Hungar Hungary, I would try the Hungarian wine. Do you like all of them? Like I've never really been disappointed to the point where I say, you know, would want, you know, I, that's like, yeah, I'm just not. Romania is the second biggest wine importer, uh, exporter in Europe. You wouldn't think so, or I guess producer, the second biggest producer in Europe. And the Romanian wine's pretty good. Yeah, pretty much wine is always good. Yeah, so, but it's been very interesting. So what, what we, what, when my son cooks, and he's really, he's uh, into, uh, because they, they would go to France, his company would bring everybody to France a couple of times a year. They go to the chateau where the wine's made. Nice. Or they would visit other places. Nice. They would always have meals. So it's been very, really interesting. When he cooks, he plates everything. Oh, wow. You know, and, and stuff. And, and, you know, so that's, that's very interesting. So you learn more and more. And, you and know, his be, wife is Russian. Does she do any Russian, Russian foods? Uh, well, her, her mother does. You know, I mean... Russian food know, is amazing. Yeah, I mean, she'll she'll. If I grow the beets, I'll give them some beets. They'll make borscht. Oh, know. let's talk about your garden. The garden, yes. Let's well, the talk on, about your way. garden. Jean, for our listeners, our thirty-five listeners, Jean has a garden that I mean, you have a ton of vegetables every year, and. It's like it's like you're you're like Don Corleone in the garden. <laughs> I don't think so. Don't like where you're that. constantly in the garden. Running, I'm not gonna, I hope I don't drop dead. In running the back and forth <laughs> yeah. with the tomatoes and the lettuce and the beets and the this and the that. I mean, how on earth? And you plan the whole thing, right? Joanne doesn't. Well, have Joanne, Joanne plans the. I, I'm kind of like labor. Yeah, she goes but, put the beets there, put the yeah, thing yeah. there, and get to it. I'm busy. Well, doing to something. some to some degree, but you know, it was, it was interesting. I mean. You know, we, we, we put in a couple of raised beds and, you know, we're on the second set of raised beds because the first one, you know, you can only keep it for so long unless you're, you know. How do you keep the rabbits out? Uh, they're not a problem. They haven't been a problem, although there's a lot of them now. The problem with woodchucks, which is a whole separate story. Oh, God. And, you know, they look at you and, you know, they're, they're much smarter than we are. Yeah. They are really much. But anyway, so, you know, you grow the tomatoes, you grow the peppers, you grow beans carrots, uh, beets. Uh, I'll do some radishes. I'm not crazy, but my daughter-in-law really likes radishes, so I put the radishes in. Peas. Oh and, and this is really funny, we, we tried asparagus. We started uh, years ago, and now you'll get, you could, usually we're in, for, for a few weeks, you can have aspar asparagus three times a week. Nice. Because they there's start to produce. It takes them a a couple of years to get, and the longer they go, the more they produce. Do the do the grandkids help you in the garden? Uh, they, they they're very good at going in and eating things raw. <laughs> They'll pick the peas off, and you know. But yes. no, but 
Yeah, I mean, and and the other thing that we did is some people up the street gave us thornless raspberries back. Gosh, it had to be in the eighties, and so we have a raspberry patch, oh, and they're really good, and that they, that's doing pretty well. Joanne put in blueberry bushes, so we get the blueberries. See, this is cool because you're passing along to your kids. Well, I mean, they know already, right. but also to the grandkids, you're passing along the idea of. You know, the original farm to table, which I hate that phrase, but the original, like, my backyard, my dinner table, when you go to grandpa's house and you have the tomatoes, you're eating mm -hmm. the tomatoes that you saw grandpa, Gene, right, right. grow. What That's about a, sweet corn? Do you ever grow sweet corn? Well, we, one, time, one time we did do sweet corn. The problem with corn is it takes up space. Oh, I know. God. I love so, sweet yeah, corn. Yeah. Jan's like, never mind about the family crap. Where, where's the corn? Where's the where's corn the at? Corn, yeah. <laughs> Jan, I'm trying to have a moment here. I know, I'm sorry. God. What's what's funny though about kids? <laughs> sorry. You know what's funny about kids is you know you start to you start to if you take care of the children, you know on a regular basis, you end up going out and you go out, you come up against this thing called the children's menu. Oh yeah. And so I mean, really, I've had, I've seen and tried chicken fingers, and I would. I would say now it's probably 40 or 50 places altogether. Of course. Kids love yeah. chicken and fingers really and macaroni so and cheese. Macaroni and cheese. And pizza. The yeah, pizza, the hot dog, yeah. and the hamburger. And once in a while, there's a salmon something in there, but not not real. But when you were a kid, you weren't eating chicken fingers. And neither was no, I, I. Neither I, was Jan. I, mm -hmm. I, I would eat every Friday night. We would have fish, and I would put Worcestershire sauce on it. I love Worcestershire sauce. On, wow. But on fish? On fish? You're so such a rebel. I love Worcestershire. Well, that was what we, you know, it's just like, you know, you you grow up and you do crazy things. I, I remember I used to eat uh, peanut, I used to eat jelly sandwiches when I was a kid. Jelly sandwiches are delicious. Okay, so when you were a kid, when you were raising the kids, right. when, when Chris and Amy were little and you and Joanne had moved out of that apartment finally and gotten an oven for fuck's sake. So you had to sort of learn how to cook for each other and for kids and right. they had favorites. Were they fussy eaters when they were kids? You know, they're all fussy eaters to a certain age. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you know, you, they're only going to eat certain things. I mean, you try to get them to eat, you, you could go nuts because they eat the same thing. But you know, when we, you know, in the the eighties, I remember um, doing. You know, I was cooking more myself because Joanne was, you know, you know, doing. Uh, she was working and doing other things. And so, you know, it's like I call it survival cooking. You learn how to cook a pork chop, you know, nothing too spectacular. <clears throat> you can get the vegetables, you know, and, and things like that. I didn't, you know, I never did all of it, but I did some. I could feed, I could feed them if I had to. Okay. And uh, what does it look like now, now that you and Joanne are empty nesters? Well, what you know, it's funny. I'll tell now? you, what, what did we have the other <laughs> night? Okay, what the other night is she got, uh, she got an order of, uh, you can buy, Fish from Gloucester, okay, so she got a, an mm. order of shrimp, and then, and she made shrimp and grits, which is, you know, you have the grits on what? the side. She put a little bit of uh, cheese into the grits, which gives it a different consistency, and you put a kind of a light, spicy, tomatoey sauce on the shrimp. Now, if you want, you can put the whole thing on top of the grits, or if you, if, I, I like, use, usually eat it side by side. So that's an example of something, but she might... Uh, Sometimes she makes a, you know, we eat pretty simple, a pear salad. She'll get a couple of nice pears, 
and she makes all the dressings herself. Okay, Joanne, you go, girl. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're really, they're really, they're really good. I mean, the, the salads, and then you get, depending on what kind of bread you get, you know, you can have, just have a salad and bread, and maybe a glass of wine or for, two. Yeah, I, I try to limit it to wine because I fall asleep too easily on the couch. But wait a second. So, <laughs> wait. <laughs> now I remember back at Stevens College when I would be in nicely invited to your you, home. You guys, you guys would come to dinner. dinner. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and but she was great. She was she, doing and great And the meals job, were yeah. fabulous. She always. Was, yeah. But I always remember like at the holidays getting a huge bag of Christmas cookies. She still does the Christmas cookies. Which were fabulous. Yeah, because Italian Christmas cookies kick ass. Well, these were not just Italian. They were, they were all, all, kind, all yeah, different she, kinds. She, she, she still does that. She usually makes four or five kinds. And Almost a, a lot of times she'll add one, you know, she'll not do one one year, but add something new. But I should mention one thing that's really interesting. When my, she took a lot of the recipes, you know, my grandmother's recipe, my mother's recipe, and she made a cookbook. Oh. There's a little, just a little cookbook, got it bound and everything. And I love that. So they still exist. And, you know, that, that, that can be, you know, I, you know, my my daughters tried it. I think that's where she got the bolognese from. And so what we did is we gave them to all the uh, the relatives, all the you That's know, a great cooks. thing. That's a great thing. Yeah. I think there's Jen a couple of relatives. I'll I'll send you one. Yeah. I, mean, I I think there's this two or three left. You know what? She can send me just a bag of the Christmas cookies. The bag of the cookies. I'll that take would the be cookbook. Great. That would be great. Yeah, I'll take the cookbook. Cuz I I remember one year I got the bag and I she gave a bag for me to eat and yeah. then she said and this is for your family when you go back oh, to yeah, that never Kentucky. <laughs> and so by the time the they bag don't make it back. the yeah, bag got to happened. my mother there was like three cookies left <laughs> yeah, of that and three my crumbs. mother and my mother goes it was like giving a rabbit a head of lettuce exactly. to deliver. Exactly. What was she thinking? And I'm like I don't know enjoy your yeah. three cookies. Sorry. Yeah. Well listen. They were good. We're believe it or not we're out of time. No. Yes. Already? Yes, but Jean is coming over for dinner tonight. I'm making my flank steak. My marinated flank steak and baby potatoes, and you're making your famous brownies that are on the website, and, and a salad. salad. And before we go to have dinner, we have to stop at the liquor store because Mama's out of hooch, and Dean can <laughs> buy us. A, uh, Jean can buy us a couple of bottles of wine for dinner tonight. I have I'll beer. Be happy to. I have I beer in the fridge. No, Does I don't want can... beer. I have. I have. I have, I have so have, much beer. I'm out of vodka, and I'm out of. And I have some hard liquor. Smoked bourbon. And of course, I have crack. I always have crack. <laughs> yeah, you always have crack. Yeah. I'm surprised anyway. you always have crack because you, you know, crack is expensive. Crack is wet. <laughs> All right, listen. We before we deteriorate any further, Jean, thank you for coming so much. It's yes, been an honor yes. and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, thank bye. You. Bye. Bye bye.